0: Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Here in the Western world, even in the midst of a pandemic, we somehow manage to keep ourselves pretty well insulated from the reality of death. That is, until we can't, and then we find ourselves woefully unprepared. Writer Christiana Peterson believes that facing the fear of death and embracing death's mysteries can lead us to richer, fuller lives. She invites us to reclaim a healthy engagement with our own mortality in her book, Awakened by Death, Life-Giving Lessons from the Mystics. Christiana Peterson, thank you so much for being on the Habit podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I uh, I love your book, Awakened by Death. Um, and, and you say that the mystics so this is a book about death and it's about the mystics understanding of death and, and you said that the mystics have given you permission to lean into death mm-hmm. um, well first I guess we need to start with who are the mystics when you say the mystics who are you talking about and then I want to hear about you know about why you need to lean into death or why we <laughs> all do <laughs>
1: that's yeah that's the beginning question isn't it yeah. uh, well I think the mystics are these figures of the church; these sort of strange and wonderful and mysterious figures of the church, um, who basically um, made it their—they were searching for living encounters with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the mystical tradition, a lot of times that meant uh, contemplation, um, embedded in being embedded in prayer. Um, ascetic practices for some of them. Um, But I think the main thing is that they were looking for union with God and for a living encounter with God. And that often led them to active engagement in the community. So these weren't just, um, you know, here I had a vision of God and then nothing changed. Mm -hmm. These visions transformed their lives and they sort of spent their lives caring for others and seeking more contemplation, more encounters with God.
0: Yeah. Um, And, okay, so as you you say in your book, they gave you permission to lean into death, and this is a book about why it's important that we, you know, not look away from Mm -hmm. death. Mm -hmm. So what do do you mean when you talk about leaning into death, and and why is that important?
1: Uh, It's the biggest question, isn't it? Why do we need to lean into death? I mean, I think that culturally our um, our habit is to avoid death. Mm-hmm. And I think, and we do that in lots of different ways. It's not just the specific fear of death, but I think we, um, avoid death in the ways we celebrate. We avoid deaths in the ways we mourn. Um, I, I think it's important because, um, I think our Christian faith calls us to, um, Engage with death in in lots of different ways. We we engage with death in baptism. We engage with mm-hmm. death um, when we talk about um, dying to self and resurrection. So I think a lot of our griefs have been left unassuaged because we have um, ignored our mortality and we've been afraid of our mortality.
0: Yeah, I, at one point you say death is the most complex and mysterious of human experiences,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: yet we're embedded in a culture that has uh, misplaced—that's an interesting, an interesting verb—misplaced the language and rituals to talk about such things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'd love to hear you hear you say more about that. You, you said we we have as a culture, and I guess do you mean as an American culture, as a Western culture, we don't have the rituals or the the as you said, the language to talk about matters of death.
1: Well, I think you could say American, but I also kind of broadly talk about the Euro Western um, approach to death and how we culturally avoid death. Um, I I think that, um, I think that when I, when when I'm talking about losing our rituals, you know, I think we we all know that um, communities of faith are no longer, um, the locus in a lot of ways for a lot of our rituals. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, but a lot of the rituals of death of our ancestors, and and this is true in many cultures happened in the community, in a kind of a local community. And as we, uh, become more and more individualistic and also we are spread out more, we've lost sort of those, those local um, traditions and rituals that have, have brought us through life and death, where death was a natural, but, you know, gr- grieving, horrible part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it happened in the same place where life was happening, where family was gathering, where we were worshiping together. And yeah. as, as we become more and more spread out, you know, even the location of our our graveyards and cemeteries those used to be around our churches and now those are private memorial gardens or they're um off outside the city city limits so um yeah i think that's one of the ways that we have sort of lost some of the things to be a part of our culture
0: i know i'm sad that 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 even if I, I mean, I, I can't even find a church. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are churches somewhere in Nashville where you have to walk through the, the cemetery to get to the church door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I, I, I say I'm sure, I'm not sure there are any churches where I live that you have to walk through a cemetery. There probably aren't very many in this country where you have to walk through the cemetery to get to the church door the way yeah. you do in, in uh, Europe.
1: In parishes and well, our church, we, we go to a small Mennonite church that's been around since the 1800s, I think. Mm-hmm. And you don't literally walk through the graveyard to get to the church, but it's surrounded by a cemetery on both sides. Uh-huh. And I think it's a beautiful uh, example of the way that we used to do death. I mean, there we have an elderly population in our community, in our church. Mm -hmm. So there's several people that are in their nineties and a lot of them were born into this church. They were baptized here. They were married here and they will die here. And that's, there's such a rich symbolism of all of those um, important aspects of life happening. And then this community of faith will take your body from inside the church and it will go right outside and you will be buried in the earth. And that's just something that we don't, really experience much anymore in our country.
0: Yeah. When you say that we don't, that we've lost, or we've misplaced the language and the rituals for talking about death, do you see this book as sort of giving us back some of those, some of that language and those rituals?
1: I mean, I would, I would hope some people would see that. I I think for me, uh, a lot of the ancient, or the the Catholic church has really good spiritual traditions that a lot of us Protestants are a little, uh, have been traditionally a a little wary of, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's something really important that I found in my own life is is, uh, returning to some of these ancient figures in the church and all of the spiritual prayer practices that they offer, because they've been doing it for a really long time. Um, So that's one thing, I guess, that I hope people will look at some of these figures that I talk about and maybe explore some of those, uh, some of the wisdom they have to offer, maybe even in spiritual practices. Um, But I guess um, my main hope for the book is that it will open up conversations for people, um, that they'll be able to lean into death and think about death more if they've been afraid of it. that will, it will help them, you know, talk to their spouse about what what would you like for your death or speak. I've had several people tell me that they've been able to talk to their elderly parent who was reticent to talk about death. So that's my main hope um, yeah. that it'll be sort of a, a meditative um, drawing you um, into things that are uncomfortable to think about or talk about.
0: Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned in your book, a a dinner that you put on for the Mm -hmm. purpose of talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was really, it was really fun and really enlightening. We have a couple, uh, 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 husband and wife that we have had lots of meals with, but we just had a very focused conversation. And I think we were all sort of nervous about it before it started, but it just was a beautiful, engaging hours long conversation. And I even learned Things about my husband that we had, and I mean, we talk about death all the time, but there were things that I learned about him just through this focused conversation and talking about what, how do you want to die or what deaths have you experienced or what does it look like for you? What does a good death mean for you? Those are just really important conversations that we don't have very often.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You So, so what are you... What is the fruit of these conversations? Tell me about that. I mean, um, when you start talking and, and facing death instead of avoiding death, mm-hmm. what comes out of that?
1: Um, that's a great question. I, I think it makes us uh, more humble. Um, that's <laughs> That's one thing. I mean, a lot of these mystics who were staring at death were... Um, pretty open and humble. And I, I think it makes us, it can make us more open to God and to um, knowing God more deeply. I think it can help us grieve. I think that's one of the the major things that I noticed is um, when we refuse to talk about these things and we lose someone, um, then often our grief is more than just loss. It's complicated. Um, mm-hmm more more pain you know things that we that we bottle up and have repressed so i think leaning into these conversations before death happens um can help us in our grief um
0: yeah
1: yeah i think there's lots of things that it can do for us
0: one point you make in the book and i think you may have been quoting somebody else or or citing somebody else um but the the idea that this really struck me that the, all the ways we have to to look away from death and not look at you know and not pay attention or or to pretend it's not <laughs> waiting mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. um, they all turn us inward. They make us more self absorbed.
1: Mm-hmm. And that
0: facing death is one way to to be free of um, the this self involvement yeah. and to move into other people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think that you know, it's not just the specific fear of this one moment of death. I think a lot of times our fear of death shows up in the ways that we cushion ourselves and numb ourselves, Mm -hmm. and and the things that we seek out the power. You know, maybe we seek out success or power, um, all in order to comfort ourselves or numb ourselves from the reality of our mortality. Um, And I think that can often end up hurting other people when we do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think when we are not able to uh, grieve and lose and understand that that death and loss is a part of life, then I think we can hold on to power. We can hold on to our comforts and at the detriment of others, at the, Mm -hmm. the detriment of the earth. Um, and you know, we certainly are, are less apt to, to be open for God.
0: Yeah. Um, a, a recurring theme or at least something that, that I've kept thinking about as I was, as I was looking, as I was reading through your book is this idea that, um, uh, I'm, I'm not going to start talking about writing, you know, this is a writing <laughs> podcast. And so, um, um, One thing that kept coming back to me is this idea that the role of the writer, the role of the artist is to pay attention to the things that that other people aren't paying attention to. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that, you know, as you say, we, we work, uh, we, we put a lot of work into not paying attention to death. And even in our, even in our, the way we do funerals, right. Or or the way we bury people or uh, you you probably know Jessica Mitford's, um, uh, American <laughs> way of death and, and about the the ways in which we, you know, uh, well, I'm I'm not going to try to summarize that. That
1: work, but, but it's a huge work.
0: <laughs> right, I, I've only only actually read like an essay from it or a cadet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I've only read a long essay, not the whole book. But but the, the ways that we, uh, you know, is sanit- I mean, sanitize is a yeah. word to to mm-hmm. use. To yeah, by the way, we handle death and to sort of professionalize handling yeah. death.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know, the, the morticians do it. So we don't have to to do it. You know, so right. Do it. Right. And, um, and so, you know, I, I love the fact that, that you as a writer are saying, Hey everybody, let's do look at this. Let's do, mm-hmm. let's do talk about this. And I think that's such an important part of the, the writer's role in the world is just to mm-hmm. say, I know you're busy. <laughs> you haven't had the opportunity to think about these things that I've thought about, but you know, Attend to this.
1: Look at yeah, this. yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot there. I, I think that um, certainly the writer and the artist is our, the role of the writer and the artist is to offer um, the world a different lens through which to look at reality, or to peel back the the curtain mm-hmm. um, to something that we, or to dig deep into painful dark things and to be witness to those things. Um, And I, (laughs) I've read a lot of dark things for this book. There were a lot of, of hard things that I read in order to distill this information. And, you know, in, in a way, I think um, writing this book felt a little bit like death, (laughs) both that it was really hard, really challenging, really painful at times, Um, but I think that uh, every everything that I write changes me. And that's also um, sort of the self dying off a little bit. So I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of death embedded into creativity and mm-hmm. into writing.
0: Yeah. Um, How did this book change you? How did writing this book change you?
1: Um, I, I guess I like to say that I'm in recovery from the fear of death. <laughs> 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 um, I think it, it's made me more intentional about... Having conversations and about thinking about death, um, and just really meditating, uh, not morbidly on my own death, but just accepting that that's the reality and and being able to talk to my children um, really honestly and openly about death. I think that's led to good conversations with us. I think it makes you more at peace with suffering, um, more able to lean into the suffering of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think taking it, you know, I haven't had a lot of time since the book was released to really contemplate the ways it's changed me. But, um, I think trying to connect with other people is also Mm -hmm. a life changing experience and and hearing people talk about their own death experiences is life changing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You say at one point that, that, death has been tricked into making us see life anew. <laughs> I like that a lot. I think that, um, and again, you, um, this, this I guess is a return to what we were talking about a minute ago that, that when you, um, when you avoid looking at death, you are inevitably turning in on yourself. And, mm-hmm. and that, you know, when you actually look at death instead of, um, well, Hopefully, instead of you know growing morbid and and um, fearful, you you're open to um, to as as you said, loving other people. Um, yeah.
1: To,
0: to uh, humility. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and, and as you know, humility. Uh, you know, not thinking less of yourself, but rather just paying attention to, to what your actual place in the world is, which is yeah, not a bad place.
1: Not at all. And I I think when we do experience death in our own lives and that, and that can be, I talk about experiencing little deaths, like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, loss of all different kinds that sort of prepare us for the big D death. (laughs) Um, that those offer us, um, the chance to be more vulnerable and to have compassion for other people mm. um, who have also experienced death. And I think as a writer, um, yeah, actually, and this may be getting off topic, but I just read a piece that talked about it was a um, like a psych- psychology piece, and it had a a study that they had done that offering death reminders to people actually in, encouraged their creativity. Um, Tell me and more th- about that. That's I know they didn't necessarily offer the reason for that, but I think that um, that death expands um, our comfort with mystery, or it can expand our comfort with mystery, and maybe allows us to sit in those uncomfortable things. And I think that can open up our imagination, open up Mm -hmm. our compassion, open up our willingness to be honest and vulnerable, which can only help our creativity.
0: Yeah. When you say death reminders, you mean like an email that says, Hey, by the way, you're going to (laughs) die. That kind of stuff.
1: I don't know exactly what they did in the study, but I I imagine it has something to do with memento mori, you know, memento mori can be pieces of art or pieces of writing that, evoke a response that helps you remember your death yeah um so yeah i don't know i don't know what they offered the the people in the study but (laughs) some kind of death reminder yeah right (laughs) maybe not an email
0: (laughs) 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 Um, and there's certainly a long tradition of uh, and i you know i have my i have very mixed feelings about this tradition but Mm. but you know i the, the idea that the poet Writes poetry as a way of cheating death by be- becoming immortal, and you know, mm-hmm. basically as a as a self um, kind of a self Continu- monument.
1: Yeah, um, living
0: and, yeah, Im- I'm so immortally. much of that in Shakespeare sonnets, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: and like I said, I have mixed feelings about that. Yeah, um, you know, any effort to become immortal besides just not you know not dying. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean <laughs> um, is is doomed to to fail but mm-hmm. um yeah um, but it also can be a, a stimulus to creativity
1: mm. yeah i mean i think yeah i think our christian faith hopefully uh tempers some of that tortured artist and mm-hmm. you know living beyond living immortally through our art um yeah. hopefully that that tempers it a little bit and i think there's certainly a difference between um, gruesome, morbid art and uh, <laughs> contemplative memento mori, and I'm sure lots of people would have different levels of, of what that looks like for them, but
0: um, yeah, yeah, I, I love that you, uh, in your book, uh, Oren from Parks and Rec made it <laughs> into the book. You
1: know? <laughs> I'm, glad you, I'm glad you know what that is, <laughs>
0: yeah. the, the sort of walking memento mori, right. <laughs>
1: Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I loved that I could bring Parks and Recreation into my book because in order to cope with all the stuff I was reading during the day, I would watch Parks and Rec at night. <laughs> and I was like, Oren, they all hate, they all hate him because they they want they don't want to be reminded that not everything yeah. is funny and lighthearted. Right. Well,
0: can we talk, let's talk about Oren for a minute since I've got you yeah. here. Oh, please. Let's too. Um, is he, I mean, does, does, does his sort of morbid fascination with death does this, mm-hmm. does, does that count as paying attention to death? I mean, is, is Oren a mystic?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I'm thinking more of the, the creators of the show that, yeah. that, And who knows if they did this on purpose, but that they dropped him in as, you know, probably not. They're probably not in the same tradition, Christian faith as we are. They might be. I don't want to cast aspersions, but um, but as a reminder of sort of pulling us back down. Okay, remember, not all of life is like that, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't think that I talk about. Do you know who Caravaggio is? I don't know if you read this section in the book, but I talk about the artist Caravaggio, who uh, has painted these amazing uh, biblical stories and very gruesome. Like Uh
2: he's
1: got a painting of John the Baptist beheading, and he painted himself as... Oh wow the the severed head uh-huh. um, and he would walk around. he died young, he had a violent life, but he would walk around in black and <laughs> I think he had maybe a crow or maybe he named his dog crow or something. it was <laughs> part of the the um, early modern Orin. so right. I think that's different than than these spiritual contemplative uh, reminders of our death,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been using the 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 phrase memento mori um, yes. and just you know just literally reminder of death in mm-hmm. that artistic yeah. tradition whereby you know people would present you know you, you might have a skull or you might have some other reminder of death as a way to to uh, just remind us that where we're headed. Mm-hmm. I, I I thought I should throw that in there just in yeah, case it's good anybody, to translate. Uh, mm-hmm. Any listeners didn't know that that phrase. All right, so this book came out just in time for Halloween and All Saints Day,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Which
0: makes a lot of sense. But this episode of the Habit Podcast is being released during Advent, so Mm -hmm. so I want to talk about that a little bit. Why why that's not just um, uh, inappropriate or ironic, right? That there are connections between Advent and um, and the topics that you Mm -hmm. have been. That we've been talking about, yeah.
1: Um,
0: And so I had I had asked you ahead of time, you know, that that I warned you that that we would be talking (laughs) about Advent a little bit. So um, um, and and kind of where I where I start is with uh, Fleming Rutledge's book about Advent, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a collection of her of her sermons, Um, and she frames Advent. I say she as if she didn't invent this. I'm just saying it's kind of where (laughs) I. She articulates Where I realize well. that this is a good way to frame Advent yeah. in eschatological terms, right? That that, right. that this is um, not just about the first coming of Christ, but the second coming, and um, and so an appropriate thing to think about during Advent is the end, right? Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And so um, and specifically, one thing I love that she says that I, I hope you will find. Hopefully, you you know, you have some thoughts along these you know, some things to say about this. But that the the prophetic voice of Advent says, um, we don't. While it is our habit to to predict the future based on what we've seen in our past, um, a a more appropriate way to think about the future is that what we know about the future, our future hope, defines the present. Right? Not mm-hmm. that not that our past determines the future, but rather that the future determines our present. Mm-hmm. And um, and that the, you know, the, in in Advent we we look to the the um, you know, Christ, the coming of Christ, breaking into history, both the first time and the second mm-hmm. uh, second coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that that idea of of um, an eschatological you know view of Advent seems to me pretty relevant to some of the things you've you've written in your book.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like what Rutledge says about how Advent begins in the dark.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think that Advent holds together what you were saying. It's, it's a paradox. It's this, this place of mystery and paradox that we're lingering in where um, the baby, the Christ child we're waiting for has already come, that, mm-hmm. that we believe in the Christian faith that he's already come. And yet we're also waiting for the not yet, um, the second coming. Um, and I think that paradox is also, or a paradox is also inherent in death for those of us who are Christians, because we have this hope of resurrection. Um, Mm -hmm. when we lose someone, we're longing for, uh, we're longing to see them again. We're longing for the resurrection. And yet we're living in the not yet. Uh, Jesus has conquered death, but we still have to experience death. And I think that's a difficult, I feel like sometimes we want to swing one way and maybe have a celebration of life or we want to, you know... Be Oren. Yes, <laughs> or we want to be Oren. And, and I, I feel like Advent is an important time for us to... It's, it's almost a spiritual practice for death, mm. that Advent, that leaning into Advent... Can help us practice leaning into the paradoxes of death in the Christian faith, um, and you know, I I think there's also in there. I think she talks about like the silence and hiddenness of God mm-hmm. in the middle of Advent, yeah. and the mystics. Some of the mystics. I don't know if you've uh, encountered the Via Negativa, the, yeah. the negative theology, where we talk about. Um, we know God because God is unknowable. We we talk about the way the things that God is not because God mm-hmm. is so beyond us that we can't really talk about God.
0: Yeah. Immortal, um, invisible.
1: Yeah. So light
0: and accessible. Yeah.
1: I think that there's some of that in death and and feeling that God is hidden and silent. Yeah. Um, qu- bringing up questions of where is God that are also inherent in a lot of the Advent scriptures or mm-hmm. in this waiting time. Um, so I kind of see it as a, a way to practice uh, li- living in that mystery and paradox.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, the you, you quoted, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, Joan Chittister. Uh-huh she says what we suppress in the light emerges clearly in the dusk mm-hmm. um and um you know and, and I, now I'm quoting or paraphrasing you and you said in the still of life questions emerge from the damp murkiness of our inner world and I think that's really a, it, I think that's relevant to advent too right?
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and, and again you know as Fleming Rutledge says this in in the church calendar this is the midnight of the church calendar right right yeah. before the this is the darkest well i mean not the way with with christmas creep you know that's not what advent feels like yes
1: yes but
0: traditionally you know centuries ago advent was a was a a dark time in the christian calendar time to be quiet and Mm -hmm. it's the dusk and it is as, as joan chittister am i saying her
1: name right yeah joan chittister yeah
0: um you I know, believe she's those Benedictine. Things that, that, that are suppressed. I mean, the things that get suppressed during Parks and Rec. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the back. <laughs> yeah, we're back to Orin again.
1: Yes. <laughs> Who knew Oren would play such a role in <laughs> this episode? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and so you're in the stillness of Advent, that is a good time mm-hmm. for these, these questions from the uh, the inner underworld.
1: Mm-hmm. And we always want to skip to yeah. the the joy and the, the lights and the presence. And it's yeah. really, really hard. It takes discipline to wait in that stillness. And I think even now, with all we've been through this past year, um, I know for a lot of people, it feels like the last eight Eight months or what? I don't know how many months it will be when this podcast come out comes it, out. Yeah, eight months, nine, yeah. eight or nine. Feels yeah. like Advent, <laughs> but I think it's a good time for us to process the grief that we've been experiencing the, these last mm. many months because there's so much there's so much grief to process, mm. um, and just being lingering in the the stillness, lingering in the in the quiet and the waiting. And the discomfort of waiting for the joy is important. Yeah. yeah.
0: You, um, I assume you had pretty much finished this manuscript before, um, before the coronavirus came. Is that true? I mean, I, I know you yeah. were, your conclusion, at least, you mm-hmm. address, you know, the coronavirus, but it sounds like you had already finished. Is that right?
1: I was in the last stages, very final stages of editing in, in mm-hmm. March and April. So I did have a conversation with my editor. We we contemplated whether or not to go back and, you know, look at all of this through the lens of COVID. But it was so new that it was hard to know how yeah. that was going to look. So I just put it in the conclusion that I'm aware, you know, I'm aware that this is happening and mm-hmm. we're going to see where this, where this goes. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, all right. I uh, always end
0: these conversations with a question. Who are the writers who make you want to write? So I hope you're ready to answer this question.
1: <laughs> yeah. <they're, laughs> this is a hard question. Surely everybody struggles with this question. <laughs> all of your readers and writers. Um, I guess different writers want to make me write different things because I love lots of different genres. But um Maybe I'll stick with spiritual writing and okay. writing about death. Um, I love Kathleen Norris. Oh yeah, and Joan Chittister. I think she has some really great, uh, great stuff about um, spiritual practices and leaning into the darkness. Um, can,
0: you, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about Joan Chittister? Because I'm not familiar with her until I read I book.
1: have one of her books here. It's it's called. Um, all right, between the dark and the daylight, embracing the contradictions of life. And Joan is, uh, she's a Benedictine sister, okay. Uh, so she's a Catholic Benedictine sister um, uh-huh. who's been writing for for years. She's got one called Wisdom of the Daily, and it, it talks about kind of a about, devotional
0: writer. She she does she's is that fair to say? Yeah, I would else?
1: I would call her more of a spiritual writer. She talks about uh, spiritual practices and
0: yeah um, okay
1: yeah. All right. Um, And then for death writing, um, have you heard of Thomas Lynch? No. Um, He's actually, well, I have two death writers. One is Caitlin Dowdy, who is a hilarious author. They're both former morticians. Really? Yes. And Thomas Lynch is uh, kind of a poet who writes about his family uh, funeral practice and what he has learned about death. Yes. Um, I think his, his most famous book is called The Undertaking. Okay. Um, and then Caitlin Dowdy writes hilarious, dark stuff about, uh, being a mortician. Um, I'm trying to think smoke gets in your eyes is one of her most famous. So we'll stick with those four.
0: Okay. Well, um, Christiana, thank you so much for being on the habit podcast.
2: And awesome. I would love to catch up again soon.
1: That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun.
2: The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song, Too Good, as part of this podcast. Visit JessRayMusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs.
0: The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at TheHabit.co. This podcast
2: was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash...